You say, you think this will happen. Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Has that ever happened? No. Did Jesus teach us to pray something that was out of the will of God? Absolutely not. It's going to happen. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy. Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. Today is part three in the conclusion of Pastor Carl's sermon entitled, When Heaven Comes to Earth, Part One. Today, Dr. Brogy will conclude his sermon on how the millennial kingdom progresses under the sovereignty of Christ, and more importantly, how the world will be restored under Christ's blessing. Let's join Pastor Carl now as he continues. Jesus through his servant John, when he gives John this revelation, reveals it's a thousand years. It's exactly a thousand years. You say, Pastor Carl, do you think a thousand years means a thousand years? Absolutely. I mean, look, all the way through the revelation, God uses numbers in a literal way. Even in the immediate context, the thrones are literal. The angels are literal. The martyrs who've been beheaded, they're literal. Jesus is literal. The beast, the antichrist is literal. The image that men worship, that's literal. The 666 is literal, and so is the thousand-year reign. But you see, the amillennialist says, well, that's just a, a number of fullness. Things, you know, through the Lord reigning in heaven, there's his kingdom up in heaven, but he's not going to literally reign on the earth. So there's three schools of thought when you think about the reign of the Messiah. So let me give these to you. One is called amillennialism. And this has become very popular in the American church today. Amillennialism, just to picture it, it says that there will be apostasy throughout this time where Christ is building his church. There will be tribulation. But there's not coming a literal antichrist who will walk into a rebuilt temple and defile it. And all these things that we read in Matthew 24 and in Revelation 4 through 18, they're they're just describing hard times. There's not literal 100-pound hail balls that are come to the earth. There's not literally this massive earthquake that's going to rock the cities of the world. The next event is the second coming. The second coming, there's one big judgment. The saved and the lost are separated, and we enter into the eternal state. That's uh, millennialism. Ah is the prefix that means no. Mille means a thousand, annum means year. So they say there's no thousand-year reign of Christ. They spiritualize it away. Here's a second position. It's called post-millennialism. There's very few post-millennialists, but there's a small revival of them taking place. But it was a very popular theological persuasion in the 18th and 19th centuries. They said that Jesus at some point through his church, will make the world more and more and more righteous. That things will get better and better and better and better, and it will culminate with the second coming. Well, after World War I, they lost a following by some of the post-millennialists. After World War II, there was almost no post-millennialists. 
And by the way, the post-millennialist, for the most part, was initiated through people who didn't believe in the infallibility of Scripture. They were liberal theologians, but they persuaded some Christians to think that this was a position that you should take. Look, if you take Matthew 24 at face value or Revelation 4 through 18 at face value, according to the Scriptures, things are not going to get better. Jesus taught things are going to get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And so the post-millennialist has a social gospel emphasis. Look, I'm not against helping earthquake victims. I'm, I'm praying for those Christian organizations that are there. Because right now they're allowed to be there. They're not usually allowed to be there. But right now they're allowed to be there and they're helping some of those people in the name of Jesus. But I don't think for one skinny moment that that is our primary role to make earth a better place to go to hell from. Yes, we should feed an empty stomach so the empty stomach has ears to hear the gospel. But God is not trying to save civilization from wreckage. He's trying to save man from the wreckage of civilization. This world is headed downward. And so post-millennialism, well, it's just not true. And so the third position is premillennialism. By the way, when you read the church fathers, there's early and late church fathers, there's one unanimous voice. And these are the people who live after the apostles die out and they write commentaries and books. What do they all believe? Amillennialism, none of them. Post-millennialism, of course not. They all premillennialists. That God is building his church. Someday a time of tribulation will happen. In the middle of that tribulation, an antichrist will go into a rebuilt temple. And by the time they write, the temple doesn't even exist. It was destroyed, as Jesus predicted, in 70 AD. But it will be rebuilt. The antichrist will defile it. Jesus will literally actually physically come to the earth. The church will come with him. Old Testament saints will be raised. We just read that, Daniel 12. Tribulation saints will be raised. We just read that in verse 4. And they're surviving believers. That is, people who are alive, who survived the tribulation, who know Christ, they'll be separated out, both Jews and Gentiles, based on their faith, because no unbelievers, Jesus said, as we read already in Matthew 13, will enter his messianic kingdom. And so the plain interpretation of Scripture leads you to the premillennial view. Sometimes people call this, I think they misname it, a literal interpretation of Scripture. It would be better to say a plain historical interpretation because someone who would say, I believe in a literal interpretation of Scripture, they recognize that there's figures of speech. So when we say yesterday, like it did in my house, it rained cats and dogs last night. Uh, I didn't literally mean it rained cats and dogs. That's a figure of speech. But today, liberal theologians add to that most lost people. They'll say, you don't literally believe the Bible, do you? And what they really mean by that is, you're not telling me that my adultery is wrong. You're not telling me that my homosexuality is wrong. You're not telling me my right to take my baby is wrong, are you? That my transgenderism is wrong. And I'm saying, yes, I am. Because when the plain truth makes good sense, you shouldn't seek any other sense or you come up with sheer nonsense. All right, now, think with me for a moment. I want you to notice first that the world will be restored under Christ's blessing. In this coming time when he rules, the world will be restored under his blessing. 
We just read in verse 4, he saw these thrones and they that sat on them, the apostles, judgment was given to them. He saw the souls of those who had their heads cut off. That's what they've been doing in Turkey and Syria. You know that, don't you? And even in Egypt. Do you follow Jesus? Yes, sir. Taking off their heads. It's happening more than we hear, though we've heard much of it in the news. That's going to be the means of execution for Jesus' followers during the tribulation period. Why do they have their heads cut off? Because they don't follow globalism. They don't follow the Antichrist. They don't follow the false prophet. They don't worship the image. They don't take his 666 mark. And what does God do? He raises them to life, and they rule for a 1,000 years. Now, again, postmillennialism is just about dead. And so I'm millennialist. There is no literal thousand-year reign. They just spiritualize it. You say, well, how do they interpret it? Depends on the amillennialist. Therein lies the problem. You read a more contemporary amillennialist like R.C. Sproul, and he was different from the amillennialist of 100 years ago and 100 years before that and 100 years before that. Why? Because there's no rhyme or reason. If you spiritualize the text, you can make it mean just about anything you want. And that's an abuse of Scripture. There's no reason to take this thousand-year reign as symbolic. Listen, all the other numbers are plain in Scripture. If the thousand years is symbolic, are there 7,000 people who die in the earthquake of Revelation 11? Is that symbolic? How about the 12,000 Jewish people from each tribe numbering 144,000? Are they symbolic? What about the five months that the demons are let out of the abyss to wreak havoc upon the earth? Is that five-month period under the fifth trumpet? Is that symbolic? What about numbers like 42 months or 1,260 days? Is that symbolic? To ask these questions is sheer absurdity. And you end up twisting the scriptures. Verse 2, we just read it. I laid hold of the dragon and the devil and bound him for a thousand years. Satan is deceiving today. He doesn't have this long chain. You have to just wipe out so much scripture. Listen, Jesus spoke of a literal time frame. Listen to this verse in Matthew nineteen twenty-eight. Truly I say to you, you have followed me in the regeneration. Underscore that in your mind. You've read that before. Maybe you said, what's the regeneration? In the regeneration, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you also will sit upon 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Now here's Jesus promising his 12 apostles that in some way in the coming regeneration, they will literally sit on thrones and they will judge Israel. Now, understand the context of this statement. The rich young ruler, Jesus said, it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And you have these ridiculous tour guides who say, well, here's the needle's eye, and the camel would stoop down, and he'd go through the gate. And Luke, who's a physician, uses a particular word for a surgical needle. Jesus is speaking of the near impossibility of a rich man to get saved. Why? Because like the rich young ruler, he loved his money. That was his God. Now, there are many rich, wealthy people in the Scripture who get saved. But for the most part, for many people, 
Money becomes their God. And so, hey, Jesus, what about us? We left everything. We're not like the rich young ruler. What do you got for us? Of course, Judas was there. Judas could have sat on one of those 12 thrones. But for 30 measly pieces of silver, he denied Christ. He forfeited that right. And so he speaks here of the regeneration. The regeneration when the Son of Man will come. It's an interesting word. It's used two ways in the Scripture. One of believers, like in Titus chapter 3, where it describes the second birth where you've been regenerated, you've been born again. You're made a new creature in Christ. It's also used in Scripture of the earth. You see, when Adam fell, the creation fell with him. God put man on notice. What happened with that earthquake this year, this week? Well, the BBC recorded one woman who was cursing God to his face. You took my child. She cursed God to his face. But what did most of those dear people do? They fell on their knees. They thought the day of judgment had come. They had asked God for mercy. And again, that's one of the functions of the tribulation, to get people's attention, to show them their need for mercy, that this life is but a vapor that appears for a moment and then is gone. What if we have an earthquake? You know, to me, it's amazing. We've barely covered it in the American press. We're more consumed with this satanic worship at the Grammys last week and the latest politics and the Super Bowl than we are with the lives of people who are perishing because our priorities are way out of whack. But the term regeneration is also used in the sense that the world is going to be born again. Paul says all of creation moans and groans like the sons who are waiting for their, the redemption of their bodies, but someday God is going to somehow rejuvenate and restore the earth. Listen to these words from Isaiah 11. And the wolf will dwell with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little boy will lead them. Also the cow and the bear will graze. Their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child will put his hand in the viper's den. They will not hurt or destroy in my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The day is coming. It's not here yet. The desert will bloom like a rose. It's not the irrigation that's taking place in Israel today. That's just a smidgen of their land that's blooming. It's coming. The Dead Sea, men will be able to fish in it. Prophecy after prophecy after prophecy. If you die at 100, you're considered a curse because a man who's 100 years old will be considered a young man. Now, we'll see. This is not heaven. There's death in the millennium. There's rebellion. Who, through the tribulation saints who have children and grandchildren and great children, which, by the way, eliminates the possibility for a post-tribulational rapture. Because if we're all raptured at the end of the tribulation, then who can sin during the millennial reign of the Messiah? Because if you're in glorified bodies, you can't sin. Oh, well... I guess we'll just get rid of the thousand-year reign and we'll be amillennialists. Remember, no unbelievers enter the kingdom. You have to have unbelievers entering the kingdom, contradicting what Jesus said in John 3, Matthew 13, and a number of other places. 
So Jesus will come, sweep up his church. Seven plus years later, we'll come back with him. Old Testament saints will be raised. Tribulation saints will be saved, raised. Believers, Jews, and Gentiles will enter into the kingdom and their natural bodies live an extended period of time. And some of their children won't receive Jesus as Lord. That's why he's going to have to reign with a rod of iron. You say, you think this will happen? Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Has that ever happened? No. Did Jesus teach us to pray something that was out of the will of God? Absolutely not. It's going to happen. The world will be restored under his blessing. Secondly, the world will be ruled under Christ's lordship. I saw thrones. And they sat on them, and judgment was given to them. And so he's describing the apostles that we've already seen, letting Scripture interpret the Scripture. They're going to rule and reign. And also these tribulation saints who are brought out of the grave, they will rule and reign with Christ for a thousand years. Those who had been beheaded, the same group that you read about in Revelation 6 and 7, who, because of their faith for Jesus, lose their lives. They refuse to bow down to the Antichrist. And they are going to be raised, and not only will they be raised to rule, the church will rule. Jesus speaks of the church ruling and reigning with him. Remember in Revelation 2.26, and he who overcomes, and he who keeps my deeds until the end, I will give him authority over the nations. Then, speaking of this very reign in the next verse, he quotes Psalm 2. You know that Psalm, many of you. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces, as I also received authority from my Father. Psalm 2, if you know the Psalm, it predicts the day when the Father will give to the Son a marvelous kingdom. Men today, they raise their little ugly fists in the face of God Almighty, and the Scripture says, God in heaven, he laughs. Because he knows what is coming. And by the way, you're not saved by overcoming. You're not saved by perseverance. But Jesus' point in other passages is that if you are saved, you will persevere. You will overcome. And this is not a promise he simply made to reign to the church of Thyatira. Like in the other churches, he who has an ear, to let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That means us. Paul said it this way in 2 Timothy. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. Or in Revelation 5 and verse 10, he says of Christians, of believers, of tribulation saints, you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Or in Revelation 20 and verse, 40, we just, verse 4, we just read that tribulation saints will reign with him for a thousand years. And just to make it clear that there will be some people who won't reign, verse 5, the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. We will see when they come to life at the end of the thousand years. But these saints, they're part of the first resurrection. Now remember, all scripture, and we'll, we'll discuss the first resurrection in great detail next time. There are three component aspects to the first resurrection. So just hold on, we'll come to it. Well, let me give some application as we close. Remember, all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God, and all Scripture is profitable. And so God would have us study even a text like this because it's profitable. First, Jesus' coming reign should increase my awareness of God's timing. It should increase my awareness of God's timing. 
And I'm always awed by the precision in the Bible over God's timing. He speaks here of a thousand years where Satan is incarcerated and then at the end of the thousand years we'll read next time how he'll be released. And of course Paul in describing the first coming in Galatians 4 said that Jesus came in the fullness of time. That is to say at just the right time. But at the end of time unbelievers will ask questions like where is the promise of his coming? You Christians talk about Jesus coming back. You've been talking about that for 2,000 years. Where is it? And Peter will say, do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as 1,000 years and 1,000 years as is one day. And though it's almost been 2,000 years, Christ will keep his promise. One of these days, the trumpet will sound The sky will be rolled back. Jesus will rise up from his throne and he'll step down to earth and he'll receive his own. That day is coming. Second, Jesus is coming. Rain should increase my awareness of God's sovereignty. His coming should increase my awareness of God's sovereignty. This chapter really pictures God as a sovereign God. Even Satan and his demons... They are limited as to what they can do. Satan is on a leash. Luther used to say, the devil is God's devil, meaning he can only do what God allows. Clearly, you see pictures of that in places like the book of Job. And so it seems like evil is growing. Evil is multiplying exponentially, and it is. There seems to be this new dark cloud where people would share and laud the worship of Satan at the Grammy Awards. Then we have relentless sexual immorality. And it's just the tip of the iceberg because those who are experts on the internet say that the watching of pornography is at an all-time high. Add to that, you now have those who want to normalize the gay and transgender lifestyle. Some of these doctors ought to be locked up and thrown in prison for mutilating little children. Big money. Have you looked at the dollars that are involved in changing a boy into a girl? It's big, big money. And then we have those transgender people who want to perform in front of children. You want to make God mad? Just cause a little child to stumble. Add to that, we have politicians who are screaming that it's a woman's right to kill her little baby. We have atheists who are trying to eradicate every expression of God in the public arena. In addition, we have police shootings that used to be occasional, now they become weekly. And we're putting police down We're not teaching our children to respect them. Why would anybody want to become a cop? You know, we're short 35 police officers in Beaufort County. They tell me that when I need to do a funeral. We're down 35 and we can't find the replacements. Why would I want to be a cop? You don't want to live in a world with no policemen. And then we have these mass shootings in places that once historically were safe places like schools and churches. Add to that, people are afraid that we're on the verge of an atomic nuclear war. 
and it seems like evil is spreading everywhere. Pew Research just a few months ago said that the majority of Americans now believe that it's not necessarily to, necessary to believe in God to have good morals. Meanwhile, half of young adults in America believe that astrology is a science. And when you read the millennials and Generation Z and their appetite for horoscopes and palm reading, and it's skyrocketing while church attendance is plummeting. Paul warned, but the Spirit explicitly says, in latter times, we've seen that term, not last days, but in latter times, pointing to the end of the age, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Ladies and gentlemen, that day has arrived. But we have a God who is in charge. He is on his throne. John will write, you are from God, little children, and have overcome the world because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And while God is allowing Satan to perform certain things, our God is sitting on his throne, and he is in charge. Third and finally, Jesus' coming reign should increase my awareness of God's grace. You know, as I read this morning about the first resurrection, I'm just grateful that I'm going to be a part of it. I don't deserve it. I deserve God's wrath. That's all God owed me. But through the mercy of the cross, he has forgiven me. And not only has he forgiven me, he's promised me that I will share with Jesus in his rule and reign as every true child of God will. That's grace. That's mercy. Today is the day of salvation. If you've never found the grace of God, you don't earn it. By nature, it is gifted. If it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. You must come as a bankrupt person, recognizing your sin is atrocious, that it's evil, it's heinous, that it needs to be forgiven and changed, but it can only be forgiven through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Our Holy Father, we thank you for the time we've shared this morning. Thank you that you are in control, that everything is happening just as you prophesied it would happen, that things are not falling apart. They're coming together for the return of your Son. I pray today as your people that we would be compassionate even in this new week to the people that we will meet that we will recognize that every person we encounter is either headed for hell or headed for heaven. We can't share with everyone, but we can share with someone. And so we ask you, as Paul prayed, that you would give us an open door to share Christ. I pray today for someone who's listening here online at one of our campuses who are unsure of heaven. Help them to understand that gifts are not earned. The gift of God you said is eternal life. That gifts are humbly received. Thank you that you can say whoever will call on Jesus' name will be saved. Father, because you did what you did, you can promise what you promise. That whosoever will may come. Help someone, a child, a teenager, an old man to say, Lord Jesus, save me. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.
If you enjoyed today's message, you can order a CD or DVD copy by calling Search the Scriptures at 877-787-7478 and requesting program God's Prophetic Schedule 025. If you have a question that you would like to ask Pastor Brogy personally, don't forget that you can do that on Tuesdays between 11 and noon Eastern during his live call-in program, The Bible Line. You can listen to The Bible Line online at wagp.net. We hope that you will join us tomorrow as we continue to search the scriptures.